0: All right, so tonight, if you have a Bible, you can open up to Luke chapter 12. And as we go forward in the gospel of Luke tonight, in Luke chapter 12, last week we saw Jesus talking about the conflict. There's been a lot of conflict the last few weeks in the passages. And we know that Jesus is in the latter end of his ministry, where he's pressing toward Jerusalem his face like flint to fulfill The purpose of the father sending him and that is to die on the cross for our sins he did live the perfect life sinless life he did teach us deep truths that forever affect perfection for humanity as defined by God but really he came to suffer and die on the cross for our sins and rise from the grave for our hope and justification and he's moving toward that but as he's moving toward that he is dealing with the confrontation from the religious leaders who are opposing him and then he's also equipping his apostles For the ministry they would have after his departure and tonight as we get into the text we see this so last week he told him to not fear man but to fear the Lord and just uh, trust that the Holy Spirit will give us what we need in that difficult day of confrontation but tonight we go forward and it really deals with just perspective on everything and so we pick it up in verse 13 of chapter 12 we get the narrative where it says Then one from the crowd said to him, that is Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he, Jesus, said to him, Man, who who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he, Jesus, said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. And then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, oh, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this day, this night, your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? And so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. We're going to get some other passages after this that link all this, but let's just stop here for now. Who made me an arbitrator over you? I have to at least address this briefly that having been in ministry for 30 years, it is uh, interesting and it's uh, something that every pastor experiences early on where someone wants to leverage the pastor against someone else. Well, the pastor said this, or, hey, pastor, we got this dispute in this, uh, with this renter, and we, you know, we need you to step in and tell them they better do this or better do that, better clean the dishes or better pay the rent on time and this stuff. And you'd be surprised, you probably, maybe some of you never even thought of this, how many times people want to make a pastor an arbitrator. You do have legal arbitrators, of course. You have uh, different parties suing each other where they agree to an arbitration, and even now with uh, the sport of stand-up paddle boarding, the SUPs, they're in uh, arbitration with the the Hague, the court with the Hague, over who actually controls the SUP for future Olympics beginning in Paris 2024, the canoeing people or the ISA, and they're all fighting over it, and they're in arbitration, so they all have got good lawyers, and they're all arguing over it, and who's going to control stand-up paddle boarding in the 2024 Paris Olympics? Arbitration is that means where someone hears both sides and they say, this is what you should do. It's, I guess we could say safely that, and if not in all cases, in most cases, it deals with the temple, right? I remember we had a congregant here in our church who was involved in arbitration. And it had to do with uh, the community of a lake and, and uh, what they were doing with their property within this lake, this gated lake community, and how that played out. And they went to arbitration and they lost and they're really upset about it. So nine you win in arbitration. So nine you lose. What did Jesus say? Hey, get things right before you go before the judge. Think about that. Jesus said this, like, hey, you know what? Just when you're on your way, just go like, hey, let's just resolve this before we go before the courts. Okay? And so it's always better if you can just figure things out with other people. And as much as up to you, live peaceably with all men as much as you possibly can. Of course, some people cannot live peaceably no matter what you do to try and help them, but at least to your part to do so. So when I see this text, this it's so, it's so human, isn't it? It's such a family issue. It's such a will and trust in the state, isn't it? I mean, you get just a few adult children and a parent with money stepping into eternity. This pretty much summarizes human experience. I say this, we're all socialists if we feel like we're not getting our fair share and someone's getting more than us and we think all should be equally distributed. That makes us a socialist. But if we can get more than someone else, we're all capitalist. It's the human nature. If someone wants to give me more, nothing wrong with that. Sorry for you. They just chose to give me more. But if someone's going to give you more and me less, no, nah, I think it needs to be redistributed. It has to be fair to everybody. This is the human experience. And the craziness about these things, contextually, does this really happen? A guy actually really went up to Jesus and said, hey, tell my brother to share the inheritance. So it's probably a younger brother upset with the older brother, because in that culture, usually the older brother would have the one, you know, even in our society, when there's adult children who manage an estate for the elderly parents, it's usually by default almost as always the oldest parent or oldest adult child, if you will. And I can just so picture this. I've been in ministry for 30 years. I got to tell you, the context of this is like, there's nothing new under the sun. So, hey, Jesus, hey, pastor, tell my sibling to give me my fair share. This is the context. And many of you know, a couple years ago, this was the word of the Lord for me. This literally, this passage, and I have no problem talking about it. Two years ago, this was my morning devotion on a Saturday morning. And then I listened to Pastor Raul's message when I had been gone in Chile, and it was the exact same message, this passage. I was like, what are the chances of that? And then on Sunday morning, I woke up early and listened to Nate Gallagher who was teaching for his dad, my son-in-law in in Vero Beach, uh, live broadcast, and would you know it, is the same text. Now listen, I can be a little slow sometimes, I can be a little sharp sometimes, but if I hear the same passage three times in 24 hours, I'm thinking that's a word of the Lord for me. And in my own personal life, this passage uh, came to pass because it was shortly after this that we had to help my dad go into assisted living. My mom almost died. And eventually, I've been entrusted in taking care of my parents' estates. And it was not choppy. Or as one of my siblings said, it got a little muddy there, okay? And uh, so I've lived this passage. This passage was a word of the Lord for me personally in uh, one of the most arduous, difficult times of my life, working with my parents and my adult to- my adult siblings to find peace and amicability in resolution of who's going to take care of the elderly parents and what it looks like. And fortunately, praise the Lord, and I do mean praise the Lord, it's in a good place right now. And by trusting in the Lord and seeking to be faithful, there's been restoration. Because two years ago when this happened, my sister was on the streets and a drug addict and an alcoholic, and there was craziness with my brother. And by God's grace, through just saying what would take the high road and just trusting things to the Lord and seeking to be faithful— it's had a really good, good, good resolution. But I know what this is like. I've talked to many of you where you've seen this happen. And if we're not careful, if we think and believe that someone is taking something from us, we can get very defensive about that, especially if it's family. That's the context, by the way. And if we're not careful, we might feel like we need to tell Jesus tell them, tell my sibling, or tell my parents, or tell the in laws, or tell somebody, tell the judge that this is my fair share, and we might say, this is what I deserve, and we might get upset, and we might demand that and say, Jesus, make this straight, but you know, it's never about the money, and I tell you guys this all the time, it's about the heart, it's never about the money. We're singing that song with Danny, only one life soon will pass, one was done for Christ, alas, what a beautiful song too, huh? It all gets left behind, but in Christ we stand in the legacy of our life, that transforms time, space, and matter for all eternity. We don't ever want to reduce Jesus to being an arbitrator. We don't ever want to make Jesus like our leverage against somebody. Pastor, tell my husband to be nicer to me. Pastor, tell my wife to submit to me. Pastor, tell my kids to get a job. Pastor, tell my parents to share the inheritance with me. You know, it's just like, that's not the ministry, okay? Like, That's the stuff that bogs people down in ministry, and then they usually leave the ministry over that kind of stuff, but they let it run their vision of what pastoring is. Pastoring ministry is the apostles in Acts 6, where it says they focused on the word and prayer, and then they could minister and serve. That's the real focal point of apostolic ministry in the early church, and that, of course, is what we keep our priority. So just a good opening word here when we think about our riches in heaven and uh, being rich toward God right away in this opening context, because this really happened, Jesus, I mean, for Jesus to say, who made me an arbitrator over you? Those are strong words if you think about it, right? Like, who made me an arbitrator over you? Like, he's the savior of the world, not the arbitrator of family disputes. He's the savior of the world, not the trustee of the living trust. He's the savior of the world, the risen savior. We don't ever want to lose focus on that. The cross is about redemption of the souls, which is very costly. It's not about arbitration between human beings who can't get along and and just esteem someone other than themselves or truly trust the Lord with an injustice. And I've said this before many times. In 1st Peter when it says about lifting up offering up spiritual sacrifices and you ask yourself what can you offer up as a spiritual sacrifice because Christ is our sacrifice and it's not Jesus plus my spiritual sacrifices and we're told in Romans that we're present ourselves or to present ourselves as living sacrifices so that's that's reasonable but what you find in light is when we have injustices and unfairness that we make those spiritual sacrifices When my mom had had her last rites read to her just earlier this year, and I was there ministering to her, and, you know, of course my mom lived. (laughs) And with my Catholic mom, the humor of all is just beyond measure if you understand Catholic humor. She said he didn't do a very good job because I'm still here, you know. And, and, uh, but it's interesting that the nurse said to me, are you the favorite child? And I said, not at all. That's been made very clear verbally for 30 years, for 57 years. I am not the favorite child, but I am the one they trust. And that's why I'm here, and that's why I have the final decision on everything. Be the one people trust. Be the one that people trust. Be the family member that people trust. Be the family member that can handle all the resources and not touch one penny. Be the pastor that can handle the resources and not touch one penny. Be the person at work that they might make fun of you as a Christian and your boss might even ride you as a Christian, but he, you're the one they trust because you show up early and you do your job and they trust you. Let's be that person. Only one life soon will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Be the one that doesn't need arbitration to make things right. Be the one that trusts in the Lord and that people trust you because you trust in the Lord that's who you want to be Uh, riches and cars and things they'll pass but we'll stand in Christ for all eternity it's a good word and I can't go past this passage without sharing in my own life that God gave me this text three times to prepare me for what was around the corner and and I didn't know how to handle so many different things that came my way over the next six months but when I came to what I didn't know I fell back on what I did know and I knew God spoke me to this word And it's like, it's not about Jesus being arbitrator. it's about being a servant, honoring my parents, respecting others, and being as best I could to be faithful in the stewardship that was entrusted to me. And even so, it is for all of us. If we're gonna be rich toward God, be that woman, be that man, who's got an eternal perspective on any wealth that is entrusted to you and understand that it's only of temporal value that can be sown abundantly temporally for eternal things and that woman that man will be prosper they will prosper and be fruitful and the things that God has for them but if our money controls us and our decision makings are based upon getting our fair share or set right an in injustice and fighting people we will always end up losing because it's never about the money it's about the heart. And I always reference that man that stood there over 10 years ago and shared with me how his partner had ripped them off for millions of dollars and he had let it go because he said life is too short to go to court for five to 10 years to resolve this. I just made an offering to the Lord. Man, who made me an arbitrator over you? This is how this text starts. Remember a couple of weeks ago, it was like Jesus healed the mute and everyone's like wants to fight over he does it by the power of Satan but it started with a good thing. This whole text tonight is, who made me an arbitrator over you? Don't reduce Jesus to the legalities of the human experience. Exalt him as the Savior over all of our experiences for time, space, and matter and eternity. That's how being rich toward God begins. We don't need him as an arbitrator. (laughs) We need him as a Savior. And if he's our Savior, we can trust him with everything we would possibly think we need arbitration for because a man can receive nothing. A woman can receive nothing unless it comes to the Lord. And the blessings are in obedience. And if he wants to prosper, great. If he wants to chasten, let God be true and every man a liar. Just let him be the Lord and let him mold and shape the character because the greatest wealth we'll ever have is to be transformed and become more like Christ in the human experience than what we could accumulate to let somebody fight over when we're gone. Now, Jesus took the application with this parable of this rich man, and he said, it's, it's take heed, beware of covetousness. So his immediate teaching from being asked to be an arbitrator, is like, just beware of covetousness. So covetousness, of course, is thou shall not covet. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It's within us to want more than what we have or to want something that someone else has. But, of course, the Bible tells us with food and clothing, these things be content, and we brought nothing into the world. It certainly will take nothing out of the world when Job lost everything and he was a wealthy man. And in one hour, most likely, it came the news from every corner that he lost all his wealth and all his family. He said, naked I came from the Lord, naked I'll return. The Lord has given, the Lord has taken, blessed be the name of the Lord. So it's not about the possessions and being covetous. It's about knowing if God is blessed, he's blessed. And it's about being faithful with what he has blessed and letting him be over all that he is blessing. In the Old Testament, when it talks about Israel and the covenant being the head, not the tail, the blessings were based upon simply having a right heart with God. God said through Moses, you can choose life or you can choose death. You can choose the blessings or you can choose the curses. If you obey, you'll have the blessings. If this word will not depart from your heart, God said to Moses and Moses said to Joshua, do not depart to the right, to the left. You will prosper in all that you do. Do not fear. I'm with you and wherever you go and whatever you're called to do. This is the principle of God's word that he has for the New Testament believer as well. He's with us. So he gives us what we need, and we ask him for what we need, and we don't need to be covetous. And, you know, it, I mean, I think we all have a point where, like, I always say this, whenever I go to Salt Creek, particularly, and, you know, you walking on the backside of Salt Creek to Killer Dana there, Dana Point, and those houses are like $20 million homes because they've gone up another million in the last six months, right, like everything else in Orange County. But sometimes you're like, man, that would be sweet. That would be a sweet ride right there. I think that, like, wow, man, that would, ooh, that'd be sweet. You know, you go to Shaw's Cove. Let's, you know, we don't have to have the house at Killer Dana that's worth twenty million. How about the one that's worth five million at Shaw's Cove right there at the private access? Boy, I said to my wife a few weeks ago at Charles Cove, I was like, man, that's a pretty cool house right there. Wouldn't that be like, that sure beats assisted living right there, man. You know, like, that's, that's the way to go. It's like, really? You know, like, I'm just kidding, you know. Like, But I think we look at stuff like that. You know, I'm driving the church van in year 30 of its existence and thank Ross for donating it to that church years ago. See, when the kids are gone, I get an upgrade in cars. When the kids are all home, I drive the church van. See, The church van's out there tonight. That means Timmy's home and Hannah's coming home. I'm back to the church van. The one thing I like about the church van is no one messes with that big white van. That's one thing Orange County understands. Your van could hurt my Beamer. Your van van could hurt my Mercedes. Your van could definitely take out my Lexus. So the van rules. But I'm driving the putt putt. Everyone's like, lead follower, get out of the way. A little putt putt, right? So, you know, you just have to laugh about these things. There's different things. We're like, boy, you know, that new Lexus is a good looking ride. I don't have a, you know, with trucks, like, I'm not a truck guy, so people, like, you look at new trucks, and you see the new truck, like, wow, look at the new truck, I'm like, I'm just not a truck guy, never been a truck guy, they're talking about Toyota sponsoring the U.S. surf team, and they asked me, what kind of car would you want if Toyota gives you a car, I'm like, yeah, I want the, you know, like the, I want the Corolla, like, like, you know, Kyle Busch drives a NASCAR all souped up, I want to be going down Beach Boulevard, like, like Kyle Busch, you know, in pit row, and like, kids like, What? You want the big one, the big, you know, you at least want to wrap. Like, no, I just want to be like, I want to be like Kyle Busch and NASCAR, like coming down Beach Boulevard. They're like, really? Well, I'd like a Dodge Dart too, right? Or, you know, like, you know, like, you know, it's like there's always something more that you could have. But, you know, many things that you would cut that you want to have, it's probably better you don't have it, right? Think about it. Because the funny thing about possessions is if they're the Lord's, you, you, in a sense, own them because they're the Lord's and you're entrusted to you. But some things, they actually end up owning you. And then they own you. Your possessions own you. And it's funny when you look at rich people because some of the richest people ever, they you know, talk about like Warren Buffett, these people, they still live in the house they bought for $20,000 in, you know, Iowa 40 years ago or something. And they own billions and billions and billions. You know, it's like, how many zeros can you have? And how much is enough? How big does the barn have to be before it's enough? Before you can say, soul, take rest and eat. See, that's the danger of wealth. Temporal wealth that can deceive us from eternal wealth. The things that really matter. And so that's why covetousness is a, is a, a tricky thing. That godliness with contentment is a great gain. And now, if you're a school teacher or you're in the service sector, like a, a, a pastor or things like that, my kids all grew up knowing that there was a limit to what we could have. In our household, it's always going to be Toyotas and Hondas and donated church vans from Ross, Deacon Ross. I just, if I had that liberty, I would never exercise that liberty just because it's just not, and I don't even see it. It's like it doesn't, not, I just, I like cars that go from point A to point B. We make a pretty nice, you know, Camry looks like Kyle Busch, great. If not, no big deal. I'm certainly not going to buy it. And even though I got it, I don't even know if I'd use it. Because covetousness, how much is enough? See, the flesh is never satisfied. And when Pastor Chuck's son in law, who died of cancer, Jan's husband, the last five years of their life, it was always more and more and more for the house. And from his own testimony to the minute Calvary Costa Mesa years ago before he stepped into eternity from terminal cancer. He said that he wasted the last 5 of his years, 5 years of his life focusing on his temporal house instead of his eternal house. And that's what can happen. And so Jesus says that our life does not consist in the abundance of what we have, the possession of temporal things, and really real wealth is people. It's so funny like you know when your kids are young you buy them something really cool and it costs like 80 bucks and it's such a big deal and then they they end up playing with the box instead of what was in the box. You know. When we lived in Cardiff, when the kids were young, man, we were the masters of like the greatest entertainment for free. We used to drive down, you, know, you could park right there at San Diego Airport where the planes take off and land. We just parked the car there for 30 minutes, and every time the planes would take off, Timmy was like, "You'd be like, <laughs> you know, just like free entertainment. It's better than Disneyland. It didn't cost anything." And we'd stop at Rite Aid on the way back, and you could still get thrifty ice cream even then for a couple couple dollars for three scoops instead of three scoops for 15 cents. That's going way back. But, you know, it's just so interesting when you really find out, like, we're the richest poor people you'll ever know. You know, it's just like, it's amazing where there's a content heart. There's so much peace. I follow Sean Havelar and his ministry there in Ethiopia with all those orphans. And it's just amazing to me how much joy those kids have in their eyes course to have ours adopted two kids too. And it's just amazing like how could, how happy is the person who is content. And you often find that the happiest people in the world have the least. And you often find, but not always, the people that have the most things in the world are the least happy. They gotta have more. It's not good enough to be the richest man in the country. You gotta run the country, right? So what's every rich person out running the country looking to do right now? They're all looking to run for president in 2020. Because if you're that rich, you should tell everyone what to do, right? So if the current president's that rich, and he can get there and tell everyone what to do, there's other people that are really rich, and they can go and tell other people what to do different than what the current president tells them to do. Honest to goodness, the human experience, it's pretty comical if you step back and have peace with the Lord. You just go like, man, there's nothing new under the sun. And, of course, we move on from this What Solomon said, you work so hard, and you earn all this stuff, and then you die, and your kid wrecks it all when you're gone. That's a paraphrased translation of the first two chapters of Ecclesiastes, but it's very true. Jesus says, take heed, beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in abundance of the things he possesses. Yeah, this guy, what am I going to do? See, if you trust in the Lord, he's got it. But if you trust in you, you've got to have it. What am I going to do? I'm going to do this. I will say to my soul, take your ease. And Jesus said that that person from this parable, that person who lays up treasure for himself is not rich toward God. That's the danger of covetousness is it moves us from trusting in the Lord and being content with the Lord to being not rich with the Lord. Real wealth, real equity with God is to be at peace with God, to be content with God, and to just be enjoying the relationship with God. What could be of greater wealth than having a relationship with the living God and knowing he cares about every little detail of your life? Nothing. There are people who lay in bed and they think about everyone trying to take their money. I remember going to lunch one time with a multimillionaire, and uh, he was laughing about certain things, and he said the problem with having a ton of money is everyone wants to spend it for you, and they all have an opinion of how it could be spent. And he said, I'll tell you what the greatest problem about having a lot of money is. And I said, what's that? And he goes, you lay in bed thinking about who's trying to take it from you. No kidding. I never did that. <laughs> I've lost sleep for a lot of reasons, but I never lost sleep thinking about who's trying to take my money. <laughs> yeah. Take heed of covetousness. Man, be, be, be rich toward God. Now we read on. Jesus is going to expand on this. He says in verse 22, therefore he said to his the disciples, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider. Okay, so think about it. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? So in other words, they don't have savings accounts and, you know, mutual funds and all these, you know, CDs and stuff like that in the bank. Just, just consider the ravens. like God takes care of them. Verse 25. And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon, in all of his glory... And by the way, Solomon, we're told in the Old Testament, was the richest man on the planet in his day. Even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. How much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world, that that would be like the lost, you know, uh, uh, seek after. And your Father knows that you need these things. So here, very similar to the Sermon on the Mount content, Jesus talks about being anxious for nothing. He's saying, look, God, the flowers do what they do every spring because they do what they do. And God has put them in order. The birds are taken care of because God takes care of them. God's got it. God has his universe under control, and the apple of his eye in the universe is this planet, is where he sent his son to redeem the entire universe from the consequence of death and decay. And the crown jewel of the universe is humanity, made in his image with the capacity to worship and know God personally. And have that relationship. He's the initiator of relationships between himself and humanity created in his image. And he loves us. He knows the hairs on our head. He cares for us. He sent his son to die on the cross for our sins to have that relationship. And if we think about parental love and how much we as our parents, as parents, love our children, it's immeasurable compared to his love for us. Now, God loves all humanity. But for those that have given their life to him through faith in the Son, we're told there in Romans 8 that we're, we're joint heirs with Christ. We've been adopted into the family. So we have that adoption experience where we pass from in Adam all sin and die. But in the second Adam in Christ, all are made alive. And we are outside the promises. We're outside the covenant. We are foreigners, and we were not part of those things. But we now become the family of God and the children of God and the people of covenant. And we are in the estate. And it's amazing because he literally uses the legal terms that we're in the estate. We're in the trust. We're literally in the estate and in the trust. Now, some of you might have an estate or a living trust. Some of you might be in someone's estate or a living trust. You might be in a will and you might be due to get something somewhere down the road. Interesting enough, years ago, a good man that we loved very much, Floyd Herani. He's been with the Lord for some time now. He just loved me and Jennifer. Oh, when we, when we first got married and w- went on staff at Calvary Coast and Mason, Jennifer was 21 and I was 26. Floyd just loved us. He got saved at 55. Lebanese, Lebanese background. Got saved at 55. A vile man became a strong man in the Lord. He just loved the kids at Calvary Chapel Vista, 885 East Vista Way in the 80s. It's a good man. He loved us. When we lost our son, he took it so hard. And I mentioned at Memorial today that my mom was the one that sends a card every year for Jesse's memory. But I do need to mention on a follow-up for those that were here, because I said she's the only one that ever like acknowledges the loss of our son that way. But Floyd Harani did send us cards and he always talked about Jesse. And he would start to talk about Jesse and he would just get choked up. He carried that burden with us, you know? earlier today we were talking about that he carried that burden yeah nick he carried it like he'd see me and he'd start crying he, he carried it when he passed we were in his estate we didn't even know it so was brian broderson randomly at a time when we really needed it we received a pretty generous gift from floyd harrani after he stepped into eternity he believed in us he trusted in the ministry this was after we were here in orange county our kids benefited from it a man who got saved, who had an eternal vision. He wrote us cards when we were in Virginia. He wrote us in Vermont. He's one of those few people that wrote us in both those areas at that time in our life. We came back to North County in the '90s, and Floyd was there, older, loved the Lord, loved us, went to be with Jesus, had us in His trust, in His estate. Me and Brian Broderson, a few others too. It's just the way he did it, and it was a blessing. And I think what a blessing that was to not know that that was there and then receive that for time, space, and matter the temporal and to need that and to use that wisely. That was because that was during the time I was on staff at Big Calvary and it was very helpful with the kids at that time in their life. But what's amazing to me is that we're in this state with God. We are in his trust. For all the promises of God are yes, yes, or no, no. And there's no shadow of turning. Like, we have a living trust and it's our kids and it's def- like that, but... We're all in his trust. We're all in the will. We step into eternity. It says that we are joint heirs with Christ in Romans chapter 8. And we don't call, we don't say God over there. We call him Abba Father. Abba Father. Personal, relational. And we're in the trust so if our father who has us in the eternal living trust to have riches for us in the ages to come throughout all another dimension to reveal the glories of his riches and his kindness and his mercy and his goodness toward us if he's got that for us on that side of the next dimension we can trust him for what he has for us on this side of this dimension if we've got all the promises of god for the entire universe Through his son, Jesus Christ, who did not withhold his son and sending his son. And by this we know love. If we have all that love demonstrated for us, or are yet enemies of God, he sent his son to die for us, to reconcile us to him and be saved. But not just saved, not just to pass from death to life, but to pass from judgment to righteousness. But not just if that's not enough, but to put us in the trust in the estate and give us all the riches for all eternity through our faith in him and his son and what he's done for us. That's what God has for us on that side of the next dimension. So if he's got that for us and all the promises are yes, yes, he doesn't say, hey, you're in the trust, you get to eternity, just joking. That's what people do. We used to joke. My mom, if I didn't do what she wanted me to do, she'd go like, well, you're out of the will. (laughs) That's actually funny. You should be laughing because that's pretty funny. Like, you got to know, like, yeah, it's like, again, that's clean, pure Catholic humor. You're out of the will because you're not doing what I'm telling you to do. It says, honor your father and your mother. You're going to be out of the will. Okay, mom. And then I do something good. She say, i put you back in the will. Of course, I never went in or out of the will, but it was just like her way of being like, you're, you know, you know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. You got to laugh, man. We're human beings. God's not like that. He doesn't say you're in, and then you show up and you're out. He's the father of light in whom there's no shadow of turning. And he promises to meet all of our needs. And it's not about the money, the food, or the clothing. It's about the heart. And that's why the the synonymous passage of this in Matthew 6 Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. Sufficient is the trouble for today. Don't worry about tomorrow. And we do have anxiety. We do get anxious. How are I going to do this? Oh, my goodness. You know, like, life happens, right? I keep telling all the parents whose kids are moving toward college age, and mine are all past college age, like, man, it does not get cheaper. It gets way more expensive. You know how, to, how much it costs to insure a teenage male driver? Wait till your boy's 16 or 17 and you got to pay for his car insurance. And you get a couple of fender benders going with teenage drivers. Oh, cha-ching, cha-ching. Triple-A, Allstate, rack them. You know, it's like cha-ching. It doesn't get cheaper. College is expensive, life is expensive. And then you have animals too, right? I always tell Jeremy: don't do it. He, he can't, though, because, you know, I'm like, listen, man. You just never know when your dog's going to cost you $800. Like, $800. Like, it was there. We just put the money there, and now it's down there at the vet. It went to money heaven. And you try and convince your dog, like, how special they are and how much you've done for them, and they just still want people food and to go for a walk. Yeah. Life happens, and life is expensive. All the promises of God are yes, yes. And he meets our needs, and he's going to meet our needs. And our Heavenly Father knows what we need before we ask. It's not about the money. It's about the heart. And it's about not being anxious, but trusting him. Be anxious for nothing, but through prayer and supplication, that your request be made known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. We like to understand everything, right? But it surpasses understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. They say that a vast majority of sicknesses are brought on by anxiety and worry and stress over fear of things that will never happen but could happen. The more you can live in the moment in faith in Jesus Christ, the far better and more enjoyable our lives will be. Let me say that again. Because the key to high performance in athletics when you study elite athletes at the highest level, your Kobe Bryant's, your LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, these type of people, go like Michael Phelps, how they're always at their best, tiger in his day, at their very best when their best is needed. The key, the great key to the mystery of it all is, they are simply in the moment. They're not worried about the failure that happened five second five minutes ago on, on the ninth hole. They're focused on this chip shot on the tenth hole. They're not worried about the interception in the second quarter. They're focused on this drive in the fourth quarter. They stay in the moment. They're not ahead of themselves like, what happens when we need two scores in the fourth quarter? Let's focus on the first down we we need right now with the hurry-up offense and no timeouts. You see, in studying the highest level of high-performance athletics, which I do with the US Olympic Committee in the training that I go through in coaching development, It all comes back to being in the moment. Not what happened that went wrong just one minute ago, or what could go wrong, or what needs to go right one minute from now. It's about staying in the very moment. I think this is what we do when we go for the gold with Team USA, but this is what Paul meant when he said, All run, but not all win, run to win. We stay in the moment life is a marathon in most cases and if we're on the 17th mile you cannot worry about the strength and what you need in the gas tank on the 19th mile and if you'll hit the wall and get through it you need to stay in that moment and if you look at what jesus says here about god's providing god's provision is we just need to stay in the moment sufficient is this day and god is good and god does good and he does good all the time and he's got our back and he's going to meet our needs We don't ever have to doubt that. So it always comes back to faith. And that is why he says in verse 28, how much more will he clothe you of little faith? So faith is the issue of having faith in the person of Jesus Christ, in the character of God, in the promises of God, who he is, where he's at, what he's done and what he's going to do. David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging for bread in the gates of the city. It's never about the wealth. It's about the heart, and it's about the relationship. If you need to pay your taxes, you can put the coin in the mouth of the fish and tell you to go catch that fish, and there's the coin. He just laughs, like, really? Yeah, really, because it's not about the money. It's about the heart and faith in God. God needs to be our provider. When people give in church, and it's about giving or tithing, it's, it's not, I always say this, it's not a legal thing. It's just it's just trusting God. I mean, God says, just put me to the test. If you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. You want to sow sparingly, you can reap sparingly. I've, I've sowed sparingly, and I've reaped sparingly. I've sowed bountifully, and I've reaped bountifully. You live long enough, it begins to come back to you, what you can see some in time, space, and matter, but for sure, what you're going to see on that side of the trust in the eternity, who knows how great that sowing will be. But it's never, like, God loves a cheerful giver, Paul the Apostle said, so we don't give begrudgingly. And that's kind of the acid test for me and Jeremy or just in my life. Do I want, you know, because there's a lot of people that want you to give and you might feel begrudging to give. I'm like, well, if I feel begrudging, I don't, I'm not going to give. But if I want to give, I'll give. That's kind of the thing. Like, do I, is this something I want to be a part of? Do I want to, do we want, do I individually want to be a part of this need? Do, do we as a church collectively want to be a part of this need? Let's, so, that's, so we, we do that. But we never want to sow begrudgingly. We recently had someone solicit this church for, for money, and they and they came and really imposed themselves and put themselves on us. And we just said, you know what, we don't, we just don't feel called to do this, you know. And if we did this, we'd be doing it just to get this person to leave us alone. And it's kind of begrudging. it. Nah, you know, I just I don't feel like this is us. We're not we're not feeling this. When we're feeling it, we'll we'll sow very bountifully. But we're feeling it. God loves a cheerful giver. Now, what I don't like to do is give money to the government. Can I get a witness? Yeah. I'm always afraid when the accountant has everything, I'm just waiting, wait for it. I always do my taxes early, by the way. I just, I'm just that way. As soon as I got everything, first week of February, I got everything, like, there it is. Wait for it. It's a 760. Eddie Hill down there in Vista. Wait for it. Wait for it. Oh, here it comes. They always need something more, and then we get it. And it's like, but... I do give everything that I owe. Now, that's paying taxes. When we give to the Lord and we so bountifully in his name, it's not paying taxes. That's why the Bible says, Jesus said, look, give Caesar what's his. Look, that's Caesar's. Give it to him. Yeah, that's Caesar's. Yeah. Who's Whose face on it? Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar. Render to God the things that are God. We all have our own journey. Each individual has their own journey. And how they trust in the Lord to meet their needs. How they trust... Or they're going to be anxious for the Lord to meet their needs. Every married couple has to come to a place of unity, how they're going to trust in the Lord for God to meet their needs, or if they're going to worry about these things. But I've never seen, I agree with David, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging for bread. I've been squeezed tight, but that's between us and the Lord. There's lessons in that. There are, you know, I spent a whole year in Vermont to learn the value of a soul and leading one person to the Lord. I also spent a year in Vermont to learn the value of minimum wage, because it will put food on the table as opposed to not. There's different things that God teaches us value on. It's a balance of frugality and faith when you're dealing with money. But God knows what you need. Let me say that again. Father, our Father, knows what we need. it has got our back. Earthly parents love to, do, to bless their children, especially when the children are adults and they're trying, like they're making good decisions. You know, it's always easier to support an adult child that's making good decisions because you feel like you're part of the process of going forward. If you have adult children who don't make good decisions, that's kind of tough. I recently told someone, no one wants a 23-year-old male living in their house that doesn't work. Oh, it's hard to do this. And that. No, it's hard to get k- kicked out of your house by your parents when you're 23 because you won't get a job. That's harder than what you think is hard, right? It's real life. I mean, we just call things the way they are. Our Father knows what we need. It's never about the money. It's about the heart. And it's about seeking first the kingdom and having that time in prayer, that time in the word, receiving what God is saying. God, you got this, okay? Like, you've got this. And I've never seen his descendants forsaken or begging for bread. The righteous forsaken and his descendants of the righteous begging for bread. God has our back. There's no reason to be anxious. Seek the Lord. Get perspective. The whole trust is over there. You know, it's funny, too, because you find in time, space, and matter that people know they're in a trust or in a state or will. And, like, man, you know, like, you love the people, but if they step into eternity, everyone gets something. It's like it's kind of a weird thing, you know, and if you're older, you understand this. But you just, there's nothing guaranteed. You're very, you'd be very foolish to count on any money coming from anybody other than this day what God has for you because God's promised no one tomorrow. He said through James, you who say we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to receive this and that. You do just say if we live, this is what we're going to do today. If the Lord wills. It's in the moment. Us and the Lord today. You and the people you love with the Lord today. And being faithful to the stewardship he's entrusted to you. It's in the moment today. And it's about not being anxious, but trusting God. And knowing that God is good. You are good. You are good and your love endures. And he... He's going to meet our needs. He's got everything on that side, but he's teaching his character on this side. And if he wants to bless bountifully, good. Be very wise with it. If he wants to squeeze you, accept it like a woman of God, a man of God, and figure out what he wants you to learn. And be like the widow and put your last nickel in that offering because that woman had a greater reward than the people who gave out of their abundance. Amen? Yeah. One final thought. Verse 31. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourself money bags which do not grow old. A treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the real key thought, obviously already talking about seeking first the kingdom. And not having a spirit of fear about God's provision. You know, verse 33 is classic because throughout church history, there's been different groups and movements where people do that. They literally give everything away and try and live a faith of total dependency. And it has proven, to, it's proven itself in, in many cases uh, under those circumstances. But the context really is just about trusting in the Lord as our provider. And I love verse 34, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we'll close with this thought. Where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. If we take deep roots in time, space, and matter and to tear down barns and build bigger barns and all these possessions, and that's our perspective and our driving force that somehow there's enough there so we can say soul be at ease, that is a very precarious place to be. It's funny because, you know, not long ago I got the retirement books. You know, you look out for a book on retirement. (laughs) Yeah, you walk any bookstore on books on retirement, there is a whole rack. They're just looking for baby boomers that want to buy books on retirement. There's lots of them. Everyone's got an opinion. Well, you know, this or that. And, you know, and, and I got, the more I read, the more I got confused. It was retirement made simple, and I was like more confused by the time I was. I'm more confused than ever. I just got to go back to what I've had, the Calvary, Calvary plan. Trust in the Lord, wait for the rapture, and try not to be caught off guard. <laughs> it's worked pretty good for 30 years. <laughs> You know, and and I've got the ultimate safety net. Hannah says, don't worry, Daddy. I'll always take care of you. But then Luke says the same thing, too. I think Timmy and Lee have said it. I have to say that. They're here tonight. They're here tonight. I think they've said it. Actually, Timmy's going, I never said that. (laughs) Hannah's like, don't worry, Daddy. We're never going to let anyone take you away. You live with me and Nate. You know, it's like you can't worry about those things. You know, like, they they cut my ears to look for cancer this week. I still got the stitches. And and my wife was so relieved that it all came back by 9. I was like, I never even gave it a second thought. I don't have time for it. (laughs) I mean, I got so much going on in my life right now this week. I don't have time to worry about I might have cancer. If they give me the test, like, you've got cancer, I'll cross that bridge. And my wife was so happy, like, hey, it came back. No cancer. I'm like, it didn't even bother me 1%. Now, if they told me I had cancer, then I'd start thinking about that. But I, you know, I don't have time to worry about something that I don't even know that tomorrow's bringing. And neither do you. We stay in the moment, looking to Jesus, trusting in Jesus, trusting in his character, and being content with the good things he has for us and the things that really matter, love, people, relationships, life, the human experience with Jesus Christ over it, under the blood of the Lamb, in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is life, and there is no other, because this is the life that Jesus said is abundant life. And it's our Father's good pleasure to meet our every need. But the real issue is the heart. And that's what we want to keep solid and good before the Lord. He's got our back. We're in the trust. We're all in the estate through faith in him. And he wants our treasures to be in heaven. So we just want to be heavenly-minded women and heavenly-minded men that we have that perspective over everything. Or as we studied in Philippians a year ago, onward, forward, onward, upward yeah Lord, we thank you for your word here tonight and its application to us It's so practical it's so simple not to be covetous to know that uh, you know the needs of what we have and to be not be anxious and you know that closing thought that our treasure Uh, that wherever our treasure is that our heart's going to follow. So, Lord, help us to store up treasures in heaven, whatever that looks like for each one of us. Help us to store up treasures in heaven. Let us not fear what tomorrow can bring. Let us rejoice in the gift of life this day with you over our life and the love of the people surrounding our life. And let us even rejoice in the trials and the tribulations, and the chastenings, and the afflictions, let us rejoice as men and women of faith that embrace all that the journey holds, living not in fear, but in faith, and trusting that you will do good, because you are good, and we praise your name, and I just ask, Lord, that for each one of us here tonight, more and more, we could just better understand how to trust you, not with our possessions, but with our soul, and our heart, with an eternal perspective. Guide us in these things we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.